Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples magazine to find out more visit lifeinnaples.net we have terrific guests for today's show including william yateman he's a research fellow at the cato institute We'll be talking about last night's debate, among other things. We'll visit with Van Ellison. He is the president and CEO of St. Matthew's House. Lulu's Kitchen is opening. We'll find out about that and also about Justin's place, uh, uh, the ceremony last night. I uh, wasn't able to watch it, but uh, uh, St. Matthew's House is doing just a great job. So we'll hear from the Reverend Van Ellison. Phil Kirpin is the president of Amer- American Commitment. He'll be joining us. We'll be talking about their commitment to seniors. And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, we're talking about current events and the days leading up to the election. It is October the 23rd, and on this day in 42 B.C., Marcus Junius Brutus, a leading conspirator, conspirator in the assassination of Julius Caesar, died by suicide after his defeat at the Second ba- Battle of Philippi. Two years before, Brutus had joined Gallius Cassius Longinus in a plot against the Roman dictator Julius Caesar, believing he was striking a blow for the restoration of the Roman Republic. However, the result of Caesar's assassination was to plunge the Roman world into a new round of civil wars, with the Republican forces of Brutus and Cassius vying for the supremacy against Octavian and Mark Antony. After being defeated by Antony in a battle at Philippi in Greece, in October uh, 42 B.C., Cassius killed himself. On October the 23rd, Brutus' army was crushed by Octavian and Antony at the second encounter at Philippi, and Brutus took his own life. Antony and Octavian soon turned their, against each other, and in 27 B.C., the Roman Republic was forever lost. That's right, with the ascendance of Octavian as Augustus Caesar, the first emperor of Rome. Just like that, in a day, it's gone the Republic. Do you think we have a day like that in our future? I certainly hope not, but the way things are going, if in fact, I think a lot hinges on this election. Hope we can keep the Republic for a long time, along with all the freedoms that are assured by the Constitution. Well, there's a mask mandate that will remain in place in Cuyahoga County until mid-April, That's right, mid-April, in an effort to help slow the spread of the coronavirus as part-time residents are expected to return to southwest Florida. Bracing for a potential surge of cases this fall and with an eye on the country's busy season that generally stretches until Easter, commissioners on Thursday again decided to keep a mask requirement extending it until April the 13th. That's just unbelievable. How foolish is this? It has people can make their own decisions about social distancing, about wearing a mask, whatever it might be. You know, I, I, quite frankly, I feel for the restaurants, for example, in unincorporated Collier County. If we're going to choose a restaurant, for the most part, we'll go to Blue Provence, go to some place where there's not a mask requirement. People wear masks at Blue Provence even without the mask requirement. I think these people are shooting themselves in the foot, these commissioners. But you know what? The taste of power must be just so delicious as they continue this mask mandate. By the way, uh, Donna Fiala and Bill McDaniel voted against the mandate, didn't wear masks on the podium. It's uh, Well, I think we're all divided on this issue. But in my view, we all care for each other. We're going to take care of each other. We don't need the government to tell us how to do that. Governor Ron DeSantis on Thursday announced further loosening of restrictions on visitation to Florida nursing homes and assisted living facilities, saying an increased risk of infection will be outweighed by positive mental health benefits of increased social interaction. Congratulations, Governor DeSantis, again going in the opposite way of our Cuyahoga County commissioners making decisions in order to watch out for the unintended consequences of all these lockups. Uh, well, you know, clearly people have to be care- careful visiting uh, with their loved ones. But, for example, visiting outside, allowing children to see their grandparents, this is a good thing. And I think it's going to strengthen the resolve 
of older folks uh, in balanced against uh, their concern for uh, catching the coronavirus. Well, did you watch the debate last night at Belmont University in Nashville? Trump was classy in his final debate, I thought. I thought he did better than Biden in style and substance. Many of Biden's sentences were strung together platitudes that made little sense to me. Also, I thought Biden looked old and frail in comparison to the energetic President Donald Trump. Trump got his points in about Biden's family corruption. Minutes before the debate, whistleblower Tony Bobolinsky, retired lieutenant uh, in the Navy, reiterated his charges against the Biden family. President Trump invited him to the debate. His charges and the content of Hunter's laptop prove Byron, uh, Biden is a corrupt and a liar. President Trump, if Biden did a good, here's what he said, if Biden did a good job, I wouldn't have to run for president. Here's Biden. Let's raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour during the pandemic. I'm not kidding. He really said that. Here's a guy that has no concept about economic theory. Uh, could, you know, being able to, young people being able to start at a lower wage uh, allows businesses to hire them, given a chance to come in, get a foothold, learn how to work, learn how to save money, know that you're going to live from paycheck to paycheck, but the paycheck, it doesn't show up every day, it shows up every two weeks, and so on. Being able to show up on time, learning to be clean and, and uh, show up for work, be accountable. This is what uh, a minimum wage of $15 would prevent allowing young people to get a foothold. Anyhow, President Trump on lockdowns. We can't all stay in the basement like Joe. We'll get complimentary, uh, get commentary on the debate from this morning's guests. But President Trump said, would you close down the oil industry? Joe Biden responded, transition from the oil, oil industries, yes. Even the moderator was shocked. Uh, why would you do that? <laughs> so, again, uh, full of platitudes. I'm not sure he truly understands what he's purporting and what he believe what uh, the his uh, group behind him wants to do these progressives by the way according to a snap poll by wgn i believe that's the chicago radio station anyhow trump won decisively 74 percent to 26 percent now that's a real thumping not sure everybody agrees with that but it's interesting that's the only poll i could find after the debate joe biden's spokesperson andrew bates released a very deceptive statement in response to Tony Bobolinsky's presser yesterday. Now, this presser, by the way, was happened just minutes before the debate. Biden never held stock in any such business arrangements, nor had he had any family members or any other person ever held stock for him. Well, the issue is not holding stock. Hey, come on, Andy, address the real issues here. Uh, it's all about receiving payments from family members for uh, favors done through the Biden administration and the family name. This doesn't address whether Hunter Biden collected money on behalf of his father, Joe Biden. Biden's camp also claimed that Joe Biden has released his tax returns and shows there's no indication ever that he got money from anybody in these business deals. Totally, totally irrelevant. Biden also can uh, deny his involvement in Hunter Biden's grift all he wants, but Bobolinsky is now cooperating with the feds and turning over all his evidence to back up his claims. He's also cooperating with the Senate investigators providing documents related to his business dealings with the Biden crime family to the uh, Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee as well. Bobolinsky is uh, cooperating with the FBI and announced that he will turn his electronic devices and records of business dealings with Hunter and Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother, over to the Bureau. There's more coming on this. This is not over. And by the way, uh, the Rasmussen report yesterday showed the tracking poll showed uh, that the Trump is uh, 52% of likely voters approve of President Trump, 48% disapprove. So it looks like he's in a pretty good position, irrespective of the polls that have been coming up. Uh, kind of lost in all this noise has been an important development. All 12 Republican members of the Judiciary Committee voted to approve Judge Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court nomination, clearing the way for the full Senate vote on her confirmation on Monday. Democrats opted to boycott the hearing, leaving no 
No one to oppose the nomination. Democrats have said they would not attend the hearing and vote, hoping to prevent the committee from establishing a quorum. Instead, Democrats held a press conference Thursday morning and placed a picture of people they said were beneficiaries of the Affordable Care Act on their chairs in the committee uh, meeting room. How lame is that? Republicans moved forward with the vote anyway, quickly approving Barrett just minutes into what was scheduled to be hours-long hearing. Judge Barrett is going to the floor, said Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham. After the panel finished voting on Barrett's nomination, I hope you can look back at this time on the committee and say, I was there when it mattered, and you were, said Lindsey Graham. Well, President Trump released footage of the CBS 60-minute interview after White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said Leslie Stahl was acting more like an opinion journalist. Uh, if you, I'm not going to have time to talk about this, unfortunately, because we're going to have to get to our first guest, but this is really important. Uh, 60 Minutes came in. Leslie Stahl was extremely abrupt and rude with the president. Well, they didn't realize that the uh, White House was taping the entire interchange so President Trump said, you know what, I, I finally got up and said, this is it, the, the interview is over. And he's released his tapes of the 60-minute uh, interview uh, with Leslie Stahl. It is unbelievable. And if you can have an opportunity to look at it, you should see it. It was, uh, she was said, I was offended. She felt uh, disparaged. Well, she, she needs to find a safe place. But uh, anyhow, I thought President Trump was extremely appropriate. He says, you don't ask uh, tough questions to Biden. It's terrible. You know that. And Stahl said the president that the revelations regarding Joe Biden from Hunter's laptop can't be verified. Well, they all have been verified. Trump continued to come back to this, and she refused to discuss it. And then she uh, disparaged the results of the economy. Trump continued, and uh, she said, that's not true. That's not true. Well, uh, it is true. In fact, the unemployment numbers got even better than expected in yesterday's report. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. To find out more, visiting lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. 
back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, best and now building a wonderful performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the Reverend Van Ellison, the president and CEO of St. Matthew's House. You just heard the commercial about that great organization. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Last night, of course, the presidential debate, and uh, I made some comments earlier in the show, but I would love to get your reaction and response and thoughts. You bet. I, I thought that was the best presidential debate I can remember seeing. Hmm. Um, I-, I thought both candidates acquitted themselves well, but I thought in particular the president did a great job um, melding his his style, sort of the what makes him Trump, with a pretty sharp knowledge of the facts and substance of policy. Yeah. Um, the highlights for me along those lines, I really I thought his comment about um, COVID was particularly apt. We can't allow the cure to become worse than the disease. Mm. Um, and, and here, here to that. And then I thought he that final exchange, when due to his questioning, he got um, uh, the uh, candidate Biden to concede that he wanted to transition away from oil. Um, I thought that was remarkable. And I also thought it was remarkable that the concession came from a a question from one of the two debaters. (laughs) You know, that was, it was stunning, wasn't it? And then then the moderator said, huh, what? (laughs) Like she couldn't believe his response. Uh, Indeed. um, So I'll give it to the moderator. I did think this was a well-paced debate. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think, you know, I'm speaking the obvious when I say that she was more aggressive when it came to Trump and cutting him off. And I I think that's been par for the course in in both these debates. Um, However, um, yeah, no, I thought overall it gave me hope, not just, uh, it gave me faith in sort of in this process. I mean, I was just really impressed by, by how they both uh, kind of stepped, uh, stuck to the substance, and um, it, it was just a lot better than the last one. You know, I, I give her credit, too, because clearly she's a liberal. She did interrupt the president 45 times, interrupted Biden two times. So, I mean, she was more aggressive with the president. But she asked, I thought, she wasn't just lobbing softballs to the vice president. Uh, you know, she asked some tough questions, and I and I give her credit for that. Although I do feel that the on balance, the uh, debate committee is not as objective as it really should be in this whole process. Irrespective, I mean, the president has been up against just about every force when it comes to uh, his his role in being president. But, uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was, I agree with you, it was a great de- debate on substance. And I th- think the president was able to work in his concerns about the uh, what he calls the uh, Biden criminal enterprise, uh, the issues about the laptop as well as the veracity of the information. It was, you know, uh, on this, that particular issue, um, I can't speak to it, you know, one way or another, mm-hmm. other than to, to kind of bemoan the extent to which many members of the media um, have gone to avoid the issue. And again, I'm not putting a stock in the claims, um, but I am saying that it does seem antithetical to the journalistic enterprise to just ignore it outright. Yeah, you know, uh, state-funded NPR refused to cover the Biden story, calling it a waste of time. It's just unbelievable to me. The mainstream media has given up its uh, claim to objectivity and just uh, running interference for the for the uh, for Biden. It's it's really a shame. I saw that NPR quote, and it, here's the thing. If that had been the position always, then here, here. I mean, they're trying to keep things clean. I mean, above, above the floor, above the fray. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we, we all know, we all have eyes and ears, and we've all seen how they had no problems reporting on the Trump's tax returns. They, they had no problems reporting on all sorts of salacious, uh, the Michael Aventi stuff. Yeah. Um, so just the fact that they've acted otherwise for the previous three and a half years does make me somewhat skeptical of the reason that they put forth yesterday. Absolutely. And of course, uh, it's just so sad that that's our taxpayer dollars at work with 
NPR. <laughs> As a libertarian, here, here. I, I have no idea why whatsoever in today's media environment that taxpayers have to subsidize any of these entities. There's so much I'd like to talk to you about, William. Let's, let's move to uh, the latest COVID stimulus response. I mean, the Senate... Uh, Democrats blocked the Senate GOP plan just in the last couple of days. What are your thoughts? Well, it's a very fluid situation. Um, we appear to have three camps with three different numbers. The, the president seems to be, or according to reports, um, his team is at $1.9 trillion. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is, is apparently sticking firm at $2.2 trillion. And then left sort of unreported, if you will, in all this discussion about the Pelosi-Trump negotiations is that the Senate, I mean, uh, which does have a big voice in this matter, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Senate Republicans do appear skeptical of both Trump and Pelosi's plans. Uh, They they, um, think that they both entail far too much money, and and they are coalescing around a $500 billion um, COVID stimulus. And again, this would be the fourth you know, huge common stimulus. They've already $2.2 trillion um, to this end. So um, I'm a highly fluid situation where regardless of where Pelosi and Trump come out, there still is this Senate factor. And um, I I certainly don't think we can expect anything before the election. And and I'll be perfectly honest, I'm sympathetic to the Senate uh, Senate GOP caucus's position here. Um, the, the economy, as I understand it, we are undergoing somewhat of a V-shaped recovery, and I'd like to see um, uh, more emphasis placed on getting things open than, say, doling out more public money. What about uh, an executive order from the president it's basically saying the, that we're going to put a, uh, a stop or a, a delay on evictions, a delay on bankruptcies, and you know, in other words, just keep this thing, allow the economy to continue uh, up until after the election, perhaps, you know, maybe uh, where they could take action sometime in January. On the one hand, I'm highly skeptical of any such broad exercises of unilateral authority by mm-hmm. one person, I mean, the, you know, the president or otherwise. Um, on the other hand, the sad fact of the matter is that Congress has, has given away so much of, it, of, so much of its power mm-hmm. to the presidency um, via all these laws that delegate all this authority, regulatory power to um, the executive branch, that it would, it would seem unthinkable in America that the president, with, via fiat, could, could achieve those results. Um, but it's very much uh, an open question. <laughs> so uh, that's the sort of policies that I oppose. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm somewhat flabbergasted that the president has recourse to them. You are absolutely right. Again, William Yeatman, he uh, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, wish we had more time to discuss these issues. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the Reverend uh, Van Ellison. He is the president and CEO of St. Matthew's House. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Gulf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Coming up on the show, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He's the president of American Commitment. We'll be talking about the commitment to seniors. Right now, we have with us the Reverend Van Ellison. He is the president and CEO of St. Matthew's House, terrific organization here in the Paradise Coast. Uh, Van, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a uh, it's always a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, maybe you could, for our listeners that may, of course, we just had the commercial on about St. Matthew's House and the great work you do. But uh, could you tell us a little bit about your mission and what you're doing? I, the simplest way to think about it is that St. Matthew's House offers faith based free market solutions to poverty and addiction. We we're a local organization that was founded here by local people to reach out to the less fortunate, to see that their lives are transformed and they can get back into the mainstream and back into society where they can be productive and self-supporting. Uh, terrific. STMatthewshouse.org is the website. STMatthewshouse.org. And again, free market, I mean, and, and having businesses, you've created businesses that uh, actually support and for, train and support uh, the the effort, including a new Lulu's Kitchen that is opening up, or has just opened up. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, um, many, many years ago, we started a, a catering company with the idea that by catering food, we would have a training opportunity to train people that need job skills. We could provide revenue to provide a better um, meal program for the homeless and the less fortunate that we serve then really we could make a good positive community impact. So over the years, we've invested a lot of time and effort, and Lulu's Kitchen is kind of the crowning achievement of that. We've invested in building this beautiful state-of-the-art kitchen. Any restaurant in our area would be envious of that type of culinary facility. So it hosts our, our training program so that we're training men and women coming out of our addictions recovery program and job skills so that they can really be self-sufficient. Uh, we prepare all of our mission meals, about a half a million meals a year that we'll be giving out to the less fortunate. Mm. We have our catering company, um, Delicious by Design, which is based out of that. And then Lulu's Kitchen also hosts a cafe where we're doing some of the best breakfast and lunch meals. And then there'll be special events in the evenings as well. But it's just some of the best food. I mean, it's amazing stuff. I I like to eat, and this is a place where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, it's been award winning too. I mean, with the uh, the catering company is just outstanding. So, looking forward to having breakfast or lunch at lunch at Lulu's Kitchen. By the way, we mentioned there's other businesses. You have a car wash. You have uh, a number of thrift stores around the community, uh, all providing great service and uh, great opportunities for our listeners. Yeah, and we have a hotel and a retreat facility out in LaBelle as well. And so, you know, our social enterprises cover about 65% of our budget this year. So all the administrative overhead, a lot of the uh, things that people don't get real passionate about but are needed, paying the electric bill and the water bill and uh, keeping the place staffed adequately, all of those things are covered through the revenue generated through our social enterprises and so that every donor dollar goes straight into advancing our mission. Yeah, terrific. By the way, uh, Lulu's <laughs> Kitchen, why Lulu's Kitchen as a name? 
Well, we had a donor that was very excited both about job training and helping people get back involved uh, with the community. And so she really got hold of the vision, the idea that um, both job training was important for, for people's lives to be restored, but loved the idea of a free market approach to, to the work we do so that if we could have a business that would generate a really vibrant uh, training opportunity. So she committed the funds to help um, build the kitchen. And this is going to be kind of one of the crowning achievements of her life and the Halichak Family Foundation in, in supporting this work so that people can get back into the mainstream. Yeah, so I like to do a real shout out to Jerry Holacek and her family again. Uh, uh, so important, the work that's uh, being done. And uh, of course, that's Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. And to just encourage our listeners to uh, Certainly go to Lulu's Kitchen uh, for breakfast or lunch. You can do the same at Lulabee's Diner right in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, Reverend uh, Ellison, we big uh, graduation event last night. Yeah, we had a, our 10th anniversary graduation of Justin's Place. We created um, a recovery program for men and women 10 years ago now, and we've graduated more than 600 people who finish a year-long discipleship-based program. It's a really integrated model where we try to address all the issues that are out of control and in a drug addict or alcoholic's life, their vocational needs, their spiritual needs, uh, helping them get physically strong, capable, emotionally stable, really addressing all those needs in a long-term approach. And we've had really good success with that. So last night we celebrated a big event at Covenant Church and had a message from both of our United States Senators, uh, Rick Scott, a local man, but also Marco Rubio, um, just a message to our graduates and congratulating the organizations for, for 10 years of really focused effort on seeing lives transformed. Outstanding program. And again, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about St. Matthew's House is that uh, homeless uh, people who are need or uh, need to have food. There's the whole program is all about getting people back on their feet. It's just not a place to be and stay. It's the it's a way to recover and get get back on get traction back in your life. Yeah, we we really believe that. You know, the idea of just housing somebody who's homeless only meets a very basic need. But far beyond that, they need to have a life that's meaningful, that has value and purpose, where they can begin to be self-sufficient. And so we're not quite into housing first. We're housing third or fourth, where mm -hmm. we want to feed with people, connect with them, get them the, um, passionate about the idea that there can be a transformation in their life, setting them free from an addiction if that's the problem, getting them job training, getting them focused on what does it take to be self-sufficient. So on any typical year, um, we don't really focus on government support or subsidies with the, the economy the way it's been with COVID. A lot of our residents have had to be on unemployment during a season or something like that. Yeah. But our goal is that people wouldn't be on unemployment, but that they would be employed and self-sufficient and having a being taxpayers and a really uh, feeling the joy of being a meaningful contributor to society. Well, certainly St. Matthew's House is uh, certainly doing that. So uh, I know this all costs money. How can we support your efforts? Well, doing business with us is a great way to do that. Uh, we always encourage people to come down to what are rated as the best thrift stores in America. We also have... Um, our catering companies and um, and then Lulu's Kitchen come down for breakfast or lunch. It's just amazing food. They're open from 7 to 3, uh, Monday through Saturday. And then the other thing is uh, financial support through donations or calling our thrift store for pickup on, on valuables or slightly used stuff as people are cleaning out or changing around. And, you know, those, all of those things go to making a real impact in the lives of the people we serve. Again, St. Matthew's House, stmatthewshouse.org is the website, stmatthewshouse.org. Reverend Van Ellison, I just genuinely appreciate the work that you're doing in the community, and just thank you so much for coming on the show. God bless you, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for the work you do to really impact our community by being a voice 
for all the positive change we can make in our society. Thank you so much, Reverend. So uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, uh, Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And find out more about the new Performing Arts Center in downtown Naples by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, great to be with you, Bob. Always great to have you on the show, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. Well, we are a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all of the economic issues, and we try to focus on the things that are on the margin. They could go either way with a little bit of citizen engagement. And uh, we try to get people involved, write letters to Congress, the uh, White House, regulatory agencies, what have you, uh, wherever uh, we think it can tip the outcome in a more free market direction. And uh, all our stuff is on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. You've also started a new commi- uh, new website for commitment to seniors. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, well, <coughs> excuse me. One of the... Uh, patterns we've noticed on the over the years in healthcare debates is that it's very very difficult to win any significant uh fights on healthcare and healthcare related issues uh because we're constantly seeing AARP weigh in uh against free market reforms mm-hmm. and against sensible policy changes uh including ones that would benefit seniors even though they're you know purportedly a seniors organization and we wanted to sort of counteract that force uh, and sort of uh expose the fact that they generally represent the interest of their for-profit partner United Health in uh, healthcare debates rather than the interests of seniors and uh, it, it, we 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 feel that until elected officials in Congress and in state capitals understand that advocacy messages from AARP are really more about insurance industry interests than seniors' interests, it's going to be very hard to actually win a lot of these health care fights. And so uh, we started Commitment to Seniors to sort of um, 
to, to try to do that, to try mm-hmm. to show uh, and explain and make clear uh, that that AARP does not represent seniors and to uh, represent seniors ourselves uh, in these health care policy debates. I'm so glad that you are. And I would just remind our listeners that uh, a real advocate for the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, happened to be AARP, which is really distressing and unfortunate. Uh, because it it did anything but really make things better for seniors, uh, the Affordable Care Act, and you've you've also for, uh, focused on pharmaceuticals, have you not? Yeah, well, this is one of those areas. You know, the uh, the the Trump administration has, uh, from in my opinion, been very inconsistent on drug price policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had some reforms that uh, they've proposed that I've liked that have made sense, mm-hmm. uh, like. Ending the uh, anti-kickback law exemption for pharmaceutical benefit managers uh, and requiring them to pass on discounts and rebates to seniors at the point of sale. I think that would have been a great proposal. Uh, They backed off that, however, when AARP pushed back. And Mm. so that was one of the motivating, uh, you know, facts that it for us to start this project. We were shocked that they don't think discounts and rebates should be passed on to seniors at the point of sale. And there's actually no way to make sense of that other than the fact that they make more money from United Health than they make from dues. And United Health owns one of the largest pharmacy benefit managers, uh, pharmacy middlemen, uh, Optum RX. And, uh, you know, that was it, their business interests were to be able to keep diverting rebates to profits rather than pass them on to seniors. And so that's an example of a Trump administration policy we liked. But uh, there are a lot of Trump administration policies that we don't like and that AARP does support, including this idea of uh, setting prices in the United States based on foreign pricing, mm-hmm. uh, essentially a, a domesticizing uh, foreign price controls. Uh, and I, that's an idea that seems like it would be good uh, in the near term because mm-hmm. you'd dramatically lower prices, but it would actually be very, very damaging because you would be arbitrarily lowering prices by government dictate. And of course, that is a price control. The consequence of that is that you'll get shortages. And in this particular case, you'll get shortages of new cures. You won't get new Alzheimer's drugs, new cancer drugs. You won't get new treatments that can cost billions of dollars to develop. Um, if there's no prospect of a return on investment, if you can't get a return on capital that would justify that research. And so uh, price controls are the absolute wrong way yeah. to get prices down at the uh, register. There are a lot of things we could do that, that would be that, that would do it in a way that doesn't undermine that incentive. But just saying we're going to adopt foreign pricing in the U.S. Uh, when gov- foreign prices are government-set price controls, that's a pretty bad idea. Yeah, it of certainly course, is. Know, the reason that idea is particularly dangerous, and we're focused on it, Bob, is you know, both presidential candidates want to do it, which yeah. means whoever wins can say it was bipartisan, and that scares me because yeah. that's how the worst ideas pass. You know, I, which, it, what I really appreciate about your efforts is to try to get back to the real solution, which is free market solutions, as opposed to let's use the government to fix the problems the government created in the first place. And uh, the whole notion of having the government set price controls, I mean, I, I get it. Seniors are going to love the fact that they're paying about half the, what they're paying for, for uh, drugs. Uh, and their prescriptions before, uh, on average, but uh, the long-term consequences is that innovation is going to disappear, uh, new solutions are going to disappear, and uh, and the good news is that there are other solutions. Right, you know the uh, we do have a very dysfunctional uh, drug pricing system uh, because. As I mentioned, we've got this circumstance where the buy side of the market, the pharmacies, have been organized into these large uh, sort of purchasing collectives, these pharmacy benefit managers. And in a normal, well-functioning market, the pharmacy benefit managers would be uh, negotiating for lower prices because mm-hmm. they're the buy side of the market. Um, but they're not. They're largely uh, requesting higher prices. I'll give you an example. OptumRx, who I mentioned, which is uh, United Health's pharmacy benefit manager, they actually told the pharmaceutical manufacturers uh, you can raise prices anytime you want. That's fine with us. Uh, but if you want to cut prices, we need seven calendar quarters of notice, so almost two years, a year and three quarters of notice uh, mm-hmm. for any price cut they're, de- they're demanding. Uh, and the reason is the business model of the pharmacy benefit managers has really developed almost completely around the fact uh, that they are currently 
exempt from the federal anti-kickback statute. And so in Medicare Part D, which is a government program, they're able to do something that no other uh, business that purchases in a government program can do, which is they're allowed to say, charge us a very high price, which we'll pass on at the register with a 25% copay. Every senior is going to pay 25% of this high price. Uh, Charge us a very high price uh, and then give us a very large rebate. And uh, the rebate we're allowed to not pass on at the point of sale. We're allowed to divert to our own profits. Uh, That's unheard of in a government program. In any other government program, that would be considered a kickback and it would be illegal. Uh, They're allowed to do that. They have an exemption. So if we get rid of that, if we said, we're going to treat this like any other government program, uh, you're not allowed to uh, divert rebates and pocket them. Uh, If you have rebates or discounts, that's fine, but you have to pass them on at the point of sale. Um, And I'm not saying do this in the private for private insurance, that's a different situation. Private is private. You know, you can negotiate. It for, but in a government program, you should not have uh, the ability to do that. If we did that, uh, you would see a significant drop in prices at the register for everything in Medicare can Part you, D because you'd be paying your copay on the real net price rather than the inflated list price. Phil, what you're describing right now is outrageous. It is just unconscionable that that, just, that actually could be happening. I'll use the word, it, it sounds Biden-esque <laughs> based on recent, <laughs> about recent news and the kickbacks that we're seeing from the Hunter Biden situation and the laptop. But, you know, uh, how can this be fixed? Well, there's legislation. Uh, Senator Braun from Indiana has introduced legislation to repeal the anti-kickback exemption. It could also probably done be done uh, through an executive order. That is something that, the pre- that President Trump has floated uh, in the past and is talking about again now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I but I th- the, the main point is this because we've got so many bad ideas right now in pharmaceutical pricing that really would undermine the incentive for, mm-hmm. for R and D and developing new cures. You know. To really make drug prices lower and still have strong incentives to develop new cures and treatments and so forth, uh, there are two things you can do that would actually be helpful. One is you can get rid of all the money that's being diverted to middlemen. That would be a good way to get prices down without undermining the incentive for R&D. We just talked about that. But the other, and probably the most important, is we need to make it less expensive. It shouldn't cost billions of dollars to develop a new drug and bring it to market. A lot of that is FDA bureaucracy. Right. If we've seen anything this year uh, during the uh, COVID disaster, it's that the FDA is wildly incompetent. Uh, the process of developing a, a drug and, and getting it through FDA trials and approvals could be dramatically simplified and streamlined. And, of course, if we could make it cost, you know, half as much to develop a drug, then it would cost half as much to buy it. So I think we need to focus on making drugs less expensive to develop, not try to sort of squeeze the balloon and push the costs in different directions. uh, Because uh, if we have government say, we're just going to, this is the most you can charge, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi, she has an even crazier version than anything we've talked about, Bob. Her version of the price control is, Government will negotiate, and the negotiation works like this. Government sets the price. If you don't like the price, they tax you 95% of your gross sales of that product over the last year. (laughs) Phil, this is just... How's past that? That was her bill. That's just uh, outrageous. So, Phil, uh, how can we support your efforts? Uh, Go to AmericanCommitment.org, and you can click right on the front uh, to the Commitment to Seniors Project, or actually you can even skip that, I think, and go to CommitmentToSeniors.org if you want to go there directly, and you can see all the facts and information we've been talking about. And there's also a letter there you can sign that goes to Congress that just tells them, you know, look, be very careful. Any advocacy messages from AARP are not representing seniors. They're representing health insurance interests, and, uh, you know, that'll... I hope help balance out some of these debates. All right, Phil. Just great to interview. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you, Phil. Coming up, Dave Vigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Thank you. 
you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Bigo. He's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years and their dirty tricks. These guys are from SEIU. Asked Dave to sign a neutrality agreement. That was all very pleasant when he said, no, if you want to unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. Dave has 6,000 employees over 40 states. Well, they refused to do that, and then the dirty tricks ensued. Dave prevailed and wrote a book about it. It's a great book, and I encourage you to read The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave Domingo, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, Dave. So, uh, does he, any any update on what's happening with the unions? Uh, they're still fighting hard about, against the uh, changes that President Trump has made in the uh, National Labor Relations Board. Um, that um, you know Obama and and uh, Biden had put in during their or, or their eight years that uh, gave unions the power and the strength over businesses and employees and that to unionize them and. Uh, you know, Trump's rolled them back to uh, a natural, even field. And uh, because of that, uh, unions um, continue to see their membership drop. And, uh, you know, they're still pushing hard for elections, though, because they are desperate to get more members back. Yeah. So uh, this, the, there's a lot riding on this election. Oh, yeah, there is. And uh, we need to, uh, once we... Actually, I think once we get by the election, to be honest with you, I think the COVID thing will really just go away because I think it's more a political issue than it's a, a national issue. And, you know, we'll get the economy open back up and uh, if Trump wins and uh, we'll get back to where we were before the COVID thing started out and jobs will go up, businesses will prosper and uh, we'll have a great American economy again. Yeah, I agree with you on it. Really, the issue, the this election comes down, do you want to be uh, governed by uh, regulation and fear, or do you want to be governed by free o- opportunity, free markets, and uh, uh, liberty? And, and uh, <laughs> it just really comes down to pretty much that, because everything that, that the uh, vice president is proposing is uh, fear-based. And everything that the current president is proposing, President Trump, is based on saying, look, we have some issues we've got to deal with, but let's let's keep our focus on the ball here, on the prize, and make sure that we continue to grow the economy. That's exactly right. And Biden, you know, he's never really worked in the free market, and um, he's been in politics all of his life, and he really doesn't understand what makes the uh, – the, the free market thrive and businesses thrive and and you know he was saying you know he wants fifteen dollars an hour for people and that but you know when in Trump's economy Bob um, uh, you know depending on the jobs in many places people it was even getting up to fifteen dollars an hour and more right and that's what you do when you get the free market to uh, open and you take away the regulations and uh, push the unions back to keep uh, force and um, um, to to not force unionize people on that, and you know Biden. I don't know if you heard it. He he talked. He he brought up the name unions many times. Yeah, as good as good things, and that's because they're the ones that are backing all this stuff. 
Yeah, you know, to me, uh, when I was when I was a kid, I was started working when I was young, and I got paid under the table working for this uh, fellow that owned old fellow that owned a uh, uh, a lawn you know, material company. In any event, my point is this. I learned so much in that experience, and uh, it, what I learned was far more valuable than the few shekels I took home. You know, it was so. My point is this: we got to give young people a chance, and if we raise the minimum age, what do you do? You cut young people out of the market in order to just figure out how to how to learn the ba- very basics of how to work. That yeah, you're exactly right, and uh, we need we need to. Um, and grow the economy and give people an opportunity, chance to get in and work hard and persevere and do the right things and uh, move themselves up uh, in life. Here's a quote from Biden. i got to share this. Uh, he says, America was an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We never lived up Bobby, to it. But, pardon me. Excuse me, Dave. Hello, Dave. I lost you there. I couldn't hear that. Oh, okay. Well, he summarized the remarks by tweeting, America was an idea. We never lived up to it, but we, we've never walked away from it before. This is Joe Biden basically saying that, uh, you know, he's he's basically, uh, he's knocking the United States of America. Yeah, and uh, that's not surprising at all. And, uh, you know, Bob, I really think, I mean, I will say this about Biden last night. He didn't stumble as much as he had in the past, um, but I think it's because they had things uh, written out for him to say, and he had, he had gone through it many times, and uh, and he was prepared to say it all. But all this stuff was uh, the things that the left and, and that are uh, telling him to say right. uh, to move so they can move this country forward and turn us into a socialistic country. That's exactly right, Dave. And uh, I don't know if you, when I listened carefully, he strung together some platitudes. But basically, when you, at the end of the day, if you listen to it, it didn't make any sense, a couple of the things that he said. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. He seemed to be more cogent and well-prepared on one hand. On the other hand, if you listen carefully, it's just a bunch of platitudes from the left. Yeah, and that's what it all is. And I'm sure they just... Uh, they took him through a bunch of training before he went in there and had him uh, speak a lot um, so that he, he wouldn't stumble over himself and that. And uh, so he did look better from that standpoint. But I will say President Trump was much more professional and, uh, you know, didn't really get out on a limb too far on things. And yeah. uh, I think that helped him a lot. Certainly the moderator. This is a subtle thing, but the moderator was definitely leaning left. I mean, uh, she interrupted him 45 times, the president talking about Biden twice, and uh, at the points where President Trump was making important points. So uh, I give her credit, though, because she did ask some challenging questions at, uh, of Biden. But uh, certainly, you know, uh, why couldn't we talk about foreign affairs? I mean, the president's been nominated for four Nobel Peace Prizes, and uh, he's done a great job in foreign affairs. And she, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, well, they don't want to talk about anything that... Uh uh, is not good for Biden, and uh, uh, and they don't want to. They don't want uh, people to link what president's done to what's uh, made the economy and the country grow. And uh, you know, um, again, the left is uh, everything about control. They want it done their way. No question. Again, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. Reads like a murder mystery in, in some ways. I mean, there's surprises in it. You just can't believe what you're reading. But then again, if you compare it to the playbook for the Democrats, it, it is a real parallel there. So I encourage you, really, read The Devil at Our Doorstep. You get a copy at uh, Dave's website. It's called thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Also on my website at bobharden.com. And, of course, at any book purveyor, including Amazon. Dave, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, I hope that people will vote for President Trump and uh, uh, get this this economy and country back growing and strong and economically great again. Couldn't agree more. Thank you for saying that. Dave. so important. We all need to vote. Thanks so much for joining us, Dave. Okay. Have a good day. You as well. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Always appreciate your comments. If you'd like to receive a newsletter, about the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also appreciate your comments on content as well, bobharden at hotmail.com. Hope you join us on Monday. We'll visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is the uh, brilliant guy. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's also written several books, many on past presidents. 
Uh, Mark and I will be talking about current global affairs. Always an interesting discussion with uh, some tension at times because Mark is more of a globalist. Of course, I'm not, but that makes, I think, for good listening for, uh, for you. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation uh, for Economic Education. We'll visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, the author of uh, Shake the Money Tree, and the, its sequel, the one before that, I should say, is uh, Follow the Leader. He's also former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Always look forward to his commentary about what's happening in the Beltway. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.